0: I would start asking pointed questions and you know, of the service provider. What does your security policy looks like? When was the last time you had an incident and what happened? And big red flag, if, if you get a nuanced answer, if you get a diplomatic answer, like I'm not at liberty to give any details, but we've had incidents in the past and we have a really robust incident response apparatus, right? Okay, good answer. Didn't give me anything that could get you in trouble down the road. But if your service provider says, "Knockwood, we've never had an incident, run. Don't walk away <laughs> from that service provider, run away from that service provider. I love provider. it.
1: This is Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks, the cybersecurity podcast that tackles the vendor customer divide and everything in between. I'm George K with the vendor side,
2: and I'm George a, a, Chief Information Security Officer.
1: And today we have Mike Pedrick, VP and Cybersecurity Consultant at Newspire. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So as always, we will start with your journey into cyber. If you can give us the quick and dirty version and then we'll get on uh, with the questions.
0: Sure. So, uh, you know, when I got out of high school, I thought I wanted to be an architect. Um, spent a couple of years in that career field, washed out fairly quickly because I don't care enough about design to be successful in that particular role. <laughs> um, and and when I m- made that discovery, I was just in time for the dot com bubble. Uh, mm. Went back to school, um, moved into IT for an architectural firm just as the bubble burst, and ran IT for a couple of firms for uh, a handful of years. Uh, the company I was working for had a incident, it was a manufacturing firm, had an incident out on the production floor that launched an insurance audit that included an evaluation of our security controls. And uh, I, th- I thought I was, you know, I thought I had my poop in a group and I was ready for the auditor. And the auditor came in and said, what do you got? And I said, I have a state-of-the-art Cisco Pix," And um, <laughs> they ate me alive. And so... You know, I, I pretty quickly realized number one, I need to get a whole lot smarter about this this mm. subject matter, and and two, you know, in the SMB space, I you know feeling feeling myself a little bit. I thought if I'm this ignorant, other people have to be you know fairly ignorant to these these concepts as well. And so, a little over ten years ago now, I moved all the way over into security consulting, sort of jumped off the corporate ladder and, and moved into con- consulting exclusively. Um, You know, largely for SMB clients.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's a noble work. That is a sector that is uh, very neglected. I swear to God, I talk to startups and they're like, you know, we're really designed for the enterprise. And I'm like, well, if you're all designed for the enterprise, (laughs) like, um, all right, well, you are a practitioner, your security side, but because uh, you consult, we're going to count you as a vendor, which means CISO gets first crack. So
2: over to you. George A. Awesome. Thanks. Um, that's actually a, a really cool kind of backstory to you there, Mike, because I, I think of a lot of the success, <clears throat> I've done a lot about a few talks lately, just talking about um, the resource problem that we have in our industry, uh, particularly in Canada, where I'm, where I'm located. And uh, the biggest thing, or one of the biggest things is that you get a lot of people who, who don't have fundamental experience doing another career field. And I think when you have that, it gives you a much more solid, emotional, professional development kind of uh, framework to which to enter the cyber because cyber is so, I mean, I want to say abstract, but ad hoc would be a better term. Like we kind of have frameworks, we kind of have standards, we kind of know what we're doing, but like no one's really solid. Like So that's, that's where the state of the industry is. So I think when you have a solid framework of work experience, you're you're destined for success. So I definitely understand why you are at where you're at and how, how it took you such a short time to get there. Uh, the first question, though, like, uh, I, I talked to our mutual friend, Maria, uh, who I think we just had on, actually. Did we not just yeah. have her and Carlos on? Yeah. yeah. So Maria Graham, thank you. Um, obviously, another piece of gold that we uh, love to hang out with. She tells me that you're a big data privacy guy. Uh, I appreciate this. Given that you're on the services side now, what are your thoughts on some of these overly aggressive sales tactics that folks on my side of the house and your former side of the house end up encountering? We've had entire episodes talking about BDRs, looking them up, or their partner's personal socials or phone numbers to try to get them to connect and respond.
0: I don't know where the where you stand on profanity. Um, if there's a quota or a limit. No, we're all for it.
2: Fire away, motherfucker. Go ahead. Okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, my, my, I'm, you know, I love Maria to death. And I think that, uh, you know, early on in our relationship, we were sort of feeling out I'm fairly anti biz dev cold call. No, I'm going to drop the fairly. I am vehemently, almost violently opposed to cold calling stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, to her credit, Maria does a fantastic job of endearing herself to you and, and giving me a bit of perspective from the sales side that, you know, listen, we're not all this way. We're not all used car salespeople with gold rings on our pinkies (laughs) and and stuff like this. And, and, and so it's, I've gained a a bit more respect for that particular process, but it's still, I, I just have such a visceral reaction when somebody tries to get Uh, Well, from their perspective, I'm sure they think they're getting creative and trying to get my attention. All they're Mm. doing is pissing me off more and just about guaranteeing that I don't not only do I not want to do business with them, um, I'd sort of like to end their family tree sometimes. Right.
1: So um,
0: (laughs) it's it's that's that's how I feel about that particular thing. Um, You know, I I shared a I shared a story on on LinkedIn recently. uh, Absolutely true story. I had I, I spent a good portion of high school in in England. I was a, a Dodds kid, a department of mm. uh, a dependent of Department of Defense dependent schools kid. And a friend of mine from England had reached out said, "Let's get together for lunch." And I, I met up with him that same week. I get a call from the person at the reception desk at the manufacturing firm I was working for, and she said, "Hey, your friend is up front here in the lobby and by name, exact same name as this person I just reconnected with." And I dropped everything, literally dropped everything and ran up to the front to say, hey, you know, what's going on? And it was a salesperson from C-Beyond. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly okay with saying that it was a pure coincidence, pure coincidence that he used the right name or used the same name as my friend. But the fact that he introduced himself to reception as my friend to get me to come up to the lobby I was like, dude, you just burned any chance. Like, you could offer me telecom services for free. You could pay me to take your <laughs> telecom services. It ain't happening. You're, you're done. Yeah, that's it.
1: Yeah, that's uh that's weird. It's like the obsession is in the abstract goal, and because it's removed from humanity, like they can't see beyond just that short term win. Because, like, again, if the point is, I presume you're in sales to make money you have just taken a tactic that will preclude you from ever getting money out of this person. <laughs> like it's, I don't understand the logic.
2: I have to say, I, I, I appreciate Mike so much because this is exactly the original energy of why we started this show it was literally yeah. just stories of like really dumb BDR approaches and just thanks Mike. <laughs> You're Welcome <laughs> to you. Yeah, George.
1: I, uh, Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah so we've started out very strong this is the bare knuckles portion of the show which is the airing of grievances i'm glad that we're on the right foot um so you have been on the receiving end uh as a practitioner and we Mm -hmm. typically focus on vendor outreach usually it's like direct sales we haven't really talked about like the partnership or the var approach Um, but what is some bad behavior that you've seen from your side of the fence not necessarily Newspire, but from the consulting and services side of the house, like that tends to be less kind of like this direct cold outreach. It tends to, I think, take a different form. And I want to give you the space to talk about that.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And I, you know, I want to be judicious about how I say this. One of the, uh, you know, the, the curious dichotomies of sales is that a lot of in a lot of cases, there is a lot of demand on sales folks. In fact, I uh, I worked with a, a VP of sales whose one of his favorite phrases was "What have you done for me lately?" Which is to say, mm-hmm. you could you could knock one out of the park um, this month, but next month I've forgotten about it. Now you got to do that again, right? Yeah. And so I want to be cognizant of the pressure that's on that's on sales folks, especially when comp plans are sort of convoluted and. And, uh, you know, very difficult to navigate for those folks. That having been said, I've worked with sales folks who, um, were almost committed, almost, you know, dogged and about getting ink on paper, whether the thing they were selling could exist in physical space or not. And the, in the professional services organization that I was leading, I finally had to put my foot down and say, all statements of work come from me. Like that's, that's that. I write the statement of work. I give it to you. You pass it to the client, right? There's no, Mm. you craft it and give it to the client. There's, there's no, you know, if you want to negotiate with me about what's going to go on that statement of work, you know, that's fine. And my commitment to you as part of the compromise is I will turn them around same day. You're not going to be waiting for me ever. You're going to get it Mm. straight away, but you're going to get it in a form that can actually be delivered on by the engineers and, and folks that are on the team. And before I did that, there was so much chaos. It was, you know, hey, I got I got the client to sign off on this project. You're doing a full rollout from, you know, you're doing a a migration from Exchange uh, on-prem Exchange to Microsoft 365, and I got you twelve whole hours to do it. What What the fuck? Exactly. Whoa, whoa, whoa.
2: (laughs) fucking let's deploy to production, boys. Jesus Christ, right? That's right. But I got
0: ink. I got ink on the page. I got it signed, right? So yeah.
1: Yeah. See, it's this it's abstraction is the enemy. It's this constant, oh, like God. you know, I just put it out there and it becomes a success thing. I did wanna I did wanna say something. I had something in my head and I forgot when you talked about uh somebody, you know, claiming to be your friend at the front desk. The the worst thing I saw was this week a CISO had put on blast a company where they went through the support portal on their website and literally filed a help desk ticket to ask the CISO to respond to their yes. email. Yes. And, and I was like, okay, so your outreach is now infiltrated JIRA and you are banned for life. Um, yep. But yeah, that's, that's good. I, I like that. Cause I think we're going to talk a little bit more about um, how that behavior can be corrected from the services side, but uh, back over to you, George. Well, oh, okay.
2: Hey, <laughs> um, so I, I recently made a post talking about um, the semantics involved in framing security advisory services as VCSO.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, with a healthy percentage of exceptions. Like I totally accept that. I think it is oftentimes nothing more than a marketing play by consultants to upsell their billable rates, uh, whether they have the bona fides or not. I know that you're a bit of a champion for the VCSO logic and workforce. My take is that with greater legal mandates bringing direct responsibility onto the CSO during breaches a contracted consultant who can fly in and out of a project or a sow uh, you know they can they can therefore wash their hands of the thing so mm-hmm. they don't exactly have the same gravitas by by title or nomenclature as a full-time CSO who could potentially go to jail over an instant. Where do you stand on the question of institutional or organizational accountability, differentiating the senior or executive leadership that a consultant brings versus a CISO who is a full-time employee within that organization and could be hung up on a cross?
0: I I think it's one hundred (laughs) percent correct Uh, the way you just phrased that, and I've I've had to counsel clients on that in the past, and especially you know for example we had a client I, I had a client in New York. Uh, financial services client. This is 2018, and they said, "Are you aware of this new regulation where we have to have a CISO that reports to the state?" I said, "Yes." They said, "So can you be that person?" I said, "Yes." Asterisk, right? I'm going to feed you the answers. They're yours to give. You're calling the state, and I and I hasten to point out here that at the risk of being um, flippant about it, I don't want to come across as flippant. That is sort of the superpower of that consulting relationship, is that the liability is borne by the, the the client organization. This is just this is risk management 101. It's still yours. You can outsource the operational component. You can outsource, you know, so much of that, but it's still your problem. Mm-hmm. It's still your responsibility, right? And so a big part of my ethos as a as a consultant, as as, whatever the name is, I don't care if it's consultant or VC, so or call me Marvin. I don't care. Right. Hey. A big part of that relationship is telling the client straight to their face where those lines of delineation are. In fact, that's one of the things that I find trouble with in my in my own industry. Right, is when mm-hmm. the the consulting group that wants that contract wants that agreement says. We will do whatever you want, Mr. or Mrs. Client. We will sign. We, as long as you sign the agreement, we will push a broom up and down your hall. Just pay the bill, right? No, 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 no. There, there's rules here. There's things that have to be put out there in the open, right? Um, when the state calls and the state says, "Hey, you're you're being subpoenaed," or you know, your insurance, your cybersecurity insurance provider reaches out and says, "We need to unpack your your information security policies." Your consultant is immediately, your consulting organizations, MSP, MSSP, they're going to say, our policies can't help you. Our people aren't going to go to jail. Our people are not going to be, you know, taking the stand unless it's, you know, as a a character witness, it just, it just is what it is. Do you know what I mean? And that's Mm -hmm. the way it is. And I think that where the dissonance, where the friction is between a lot of organizations, enterprise organizations and service providers is when that's obfuscated when that's not made obvious way up front and i think that's yeah. just a it's a tremendous disservice to both sides when we let clients either through ignorance or through having been convinced by really savvy marketing folks we we let them latch on to that notion that they have fully outsourced the responsibility for a thing again it's irresponsible
1: yeah i was going to say we've on more than one occasion made the analogy of this vendor-buyer relationship to dating, whether it's outreach and you're mm, you're trying to close that deal a little too fast, but also in relationships is the setting of expectations, right, and very clear communication. I, so. And I
2: think part of my beef with it too, it's just there are there are a lot of great folks who play the VC sole role, and that's and that's great. Like they're framing that they do advisory level services at head of program or executive level. That's that's mm-hmm. all that means. My problem is that you're selling that, you're marketing that, oftentimes to non-technical executives who are signing off on that SOW, right. and it's creating kind of a bad reputation, um, I would say, for for the role, because um, you know I I I've recently encountered some comparisons of you know where CISOs are today or where CIOs were 25 years ago right? Still fighting for their identity and their place at the table under the CFO.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and I think we have to go through the same maturing process to, to have our empowered place at the table at the C-suite where CEOs actually know how to deal with us directly because they'll have enough background knowledge on mm-hmm. managing a network infrastructure. At, at bare minimum, they'll, they'll know enough to know how to help you out. Yeah, um, I think my issue is there are a lot of folks who I've seen in real life and online who frame themselves as VC be CCOs. And they they speak like they have the gravitas of they've you know put the time in the trenches and they've earned it. But when you look in the resume, you're looking on their you know LinkedIn profile for their work history, I just I don't I, I wouldn't even hire them to be an analyst. Sure. So uh, and I'm like, these people are billing top rates 200, 300 plus you know for their services. And, and again, I'm just like having an educated expertise is one thing, but in this job and what we do, You got to live it. You have to do it. Like cyber isn't a thing you learn in a book. Defending a network is a thing you actually have to do to be valid at it. And so that's where I'm, that's my issue, George. That's, that's the problem. I think we're selling snake oil as a service and it's fucking just insufferable.
1: Well, I, I think something that you said, Mike struck me, which is, and this happens on the product side too. I mean, this is why you have the role of like technical marketing, is that the marketing department is just like told a message and then like go out and refine that message, whatever. But they may not have taken the time to actually have talked to (laughs) the VCSOS on the staff and been like, wait a minute, if I say this is that in other words, like you're not selling the widget, you're selling a service, but how close do you hew to that? And how close of an understanding does the marketing department have of that service to talk about it cogently versus i'm looking at this competitor and they say this so we better say it too right and just marketing analogy but this is a good segue because um you have been posting for some time this series which you call build a better client Mm -hmm. on linkedin which i think is an interesting turn of phrase so first um what was the impetus behind that and then i got and then i got a follow-up question
0: Sure. Absolutely. So having been in the consulting space for a while now, and in fact, you know, I did freelance consulting as a a second job the whole time I was running, um, IT operations at the, uh, uh, the manufacturing firm I spent eight years at. So it's getting dangerously close to 20 years that I've been, you know, consulting the, there's some fascinating, um, Interplay between clients and consultants, and one of the the first things that I noticed, you know, when I moved into IT was always that stereotype, and we're talking, you know, very very early aughts. The stereotype mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, people were getting six figure salaries if they knew how to power on a PC is just right, ridiculous. Right. And there was a, I would argue, there still is, but there was a tremendous amount of ego in the space that. I know everything there is to know about the technology and therefore you need to just move and get out of my way and I'll, I'll keep it running for you. And and all I expect is your undying gratitude for the rest of your yeah. life. Right. Um, and I always felt like that's problematic. That's tremendously problematic. No, Not only is it an asshole thing to do and, and it's just not the way I, I want to be perceived in the market space, it's career limiting, right? All you mm. need is somebody at the board level to think that you're a, dick. And your time is limited in that particular space. Guaranteed. Just the way the world Mm -hmm. works, you know? And so when I moved into consulting uh, for firms, for consulting firms, I would hear gripes. I would hear, you know, God, I can't believe the client doesn't know this. I can't believe the client doesn't understand that. I can't believe the client thinks this this perfectly reasonable thing for a client to think. (laughs) Um, And the whole time I'm uh, in my head, I'm like, listen, if if you want the client to know a thing, friggin' tell them. I know, what a shock. Mm-hmm. If you want them to know something, tell them. If you want information from them, pick up the phone or send an email or whatever, get that information. Don't leave that conversation, you know, unhad un- or whatever phrasing I'm looking for. And so uh it started to to, you know, it started as a seed in my mind that if you want a better client, if you're grousing about how your clients are so ignorant or so you know, uh, low maturity or this, that, and the next thing you want a better client, you build a better client. It's just that easy. Don't wait for a thing to happen. Don't wait, don't drag out the three-year term of your contract and, and let them walk away having, you know, feeling entirely dissatisfied with the relationship, you know, again, build a better client.
1: Yeah. Well, it strikes me that in pointing out those, Bad practices that if a client is paying attention, you're like, oh, I'm being sold yeah. a bill of goods with this. <laughs> anyway, I was my follow-up question is, what do you hope that clients take away from you know this understanding?
0: In in my head, I visualize it's almost like a you know an old school western, right? Where where these two cats, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Sidle, saunter stroll into the (laughs) middle of the road, right? Um, Mosey, I think. Mosey. Mosey is perfect. Mosey is a super good word for that. Yeah. Um, So they they both meet in the middle of the road and I'm just imagining that instead of drawing, you know, their pistols and, and shooting at each other, they go, Hey, you know what? My bad. It was a total misunderstanding. I misheard you. I thought you were talking about my wife in there, whatever. Right. And and it's not a shootout. It's a dialogue. It's it's a conversation. But it took both of them to go out into the middle of the road at high noon to have that dialogue. If, if one or mm-hmm. the other of them hadn't shown up, it wouldn't have happened. And so a part of my strategy there by putting this all out in the open for clients and for consultants to hear is that if a client picks up the phone first or sends an email to their service provider and says, hey, let's have a dialogue about our retention policy, or let's have a dialogue about this new regulation that, uh, you know, I need to know more, right? It's at least that conversation is happening. And and I'm not, this isn't a secret. This isn't a revelation from the consulting perspective or the service provider perspective. Holy crap, revenue just landed in your lap. Are you yeah. kidding? You know, if, if somebody says, I need another year and a half worth of retention for my data in your data center give them a price. I guarantee they'll pay it. Right. As opposed to <laughs> if you didn't have that conversation and they call you up and say, I'm in the middle of a legal battle or I've had something happen. I need data recovered from this period of time. And you have to say, it doesn't exist. I don't have it. Well, the, the that's the termination of the relationship. I would guarantee that one as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So right. that speaks to the bigger point though, because that's like, Trust, right? Like Mm -hmm. you have made human what is typically a very transactional advisor, consultant, the client relationship, which then predicates the success of that relationship over the long term and potentially over multiple contracts. Mm -hmm. And George just goes back to, I think our whole theme of the show is just Mm -hmm. make the business more human. Success will come. And yet...
1: We, we keep having episodes.
2: <laughs> so. Yeah. It's,
0: it's, it's not a snap your fingers sort of thing for sure.
1: Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll be back after a short break. Thank you for listening. We're grateful that you give time and attention to bare knuckles and brass tacks every week. If you dig the show, we have a new way for you to support by becoming a member lend your support in the form of a one-time donation or join one of our new membership tiers starting for as little as three dollars a month each membership tier comes with benefits including the newest swag like hoodies tote bags and even the og snapback any support helps offset the cost of producing the show and we can do more fun things like giveaways and create greater and greater swag you can find the link in the show notes and thanks again for listening now Back to our conversation with Mike Pedrick.
2: All right, everyone. Welcome back. Mike, Brass Tacks. Mm -hmm. I want you to, in a 30-second pitch, give me your 30-second pitch, why should someone consider managed services over building their own program in-house? 30-second pitch.
0: Uh, managed services represents a myriad of skill sets and an army of folks that are available for fractional amounts of time at a fixed cost. That's sort of the textbook answer, uh, but it it genuinely applies. If you try to build a team, you need. Uh, I always envision the scene in Ocean's Eleven where Brad Pitt is listing off, you know, characters. We need an Ella Fitzgerald. We need this. We need that. Right. You can contract for an Ella Fitzgerald and the cast of characters from Oceans 11. If you try to bring them in house, you're going to spend a mint to get it.
2: Perfect. On to you.
1: All right. Um, We talked about your experience with the bad practices in sales from this MSSP side, you know, like whether it's promising everything under the sun for not enough hours or this misalignment between what marketing is promising, which what can realistically be delivered. So give me your, your sort of like top three things that you would tell other MSSPs. like, let's say you are in the marketing and sales seat and you're like, whatever you do, do this, don't do that you can it can be like a negative or a positive but like that wealth of experience where should what are the top 3 areas that MSSPs would should focus their attention on in, in trying to improve this uh, process
0: uh i'm going to start in, i'm going to start with 3 like top 3 i'm going to finish out with number 1 uh, the third one for me i think would be something along the lines of know who it is you're marketing to Right. Try to have some degree of competency in that particular area. Don't try to throw spaghetti at the wall and, and uh, look for whatever sticks. Right. If you're going to mm-hmm. focus on healthcare, have some healthcare experience on your bench, or don't bother. You know. And that's just an example. Right. Um, the second one I would say is try to meet people where they are. If you encounter a low maturity organization, don't market to them as though they are a high maturity organization, and vice versa right? Understand where they are. And that's another case where if you don't know how to recognize the difference, it's time to take a real hard look at, at who's on the bench. Mm. Uh, the, the, the number one thing for me is always every interaction you go into with a client should not be from the perspective of, I will sell them what I have. That interaction should be, I will find out what they need and make it possible for them. Maybe it's in my catalog. Maybe it's not, but the goal isn't to get them to buy my stuff. The goal is for them to trust me enough to have a solution for them, whether I'm providing it or not.
1: Oh, I really, really like that answer. <laughs> like we really need to overhaul our endpoint uh, detection, but I've got this juicy vulnerability management. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like It seems so basic and yet, okay, I dig it. I I really, yes, not what you have, ask what they need. Okay, I dig it.
2: Sweet. So, Mike, I have to ask, like, you probably do experience like a fair amount of of pushback. So for folks who are in the uh, MSP space and, and whether you're a pure seller or whether you're like a tech person on a sales team, what do you do when you're dealing with a client that doesn't want to actually um, continue on renewal, even though they're satisfied with their service. Have you ever encountered that?
0: I have, and a lot of times it comes down to uh, I don't want to. I don't want to pay. It's too expensive a line item on my my annual budget, or mm-hmm. um, I just. Oh, actually, this has come up a, a number of times. Um, we have not had an adverse incident the entire time that we've been a (laughs) customer. Oh, you're
1: fucking
2: punished for doing your job. I fucking hate that.
1: Right,
0: right, right, exactly. Yeah, when when oh, when no. uh, when something goes wrong, they wonder why they're paying us, and when nothing goes wrong, they wonder why why they're paying us. Yeah, so um, so my, my my take is always is you know again the the I'm, I'm a bit of a humanist, and, and I don't respond angrily. I don't respond with "Well, you're screwing yourself," because I, I also I'm I'm staunchly opposed to using FUD as a as a mm, negotiation yeah. tactic. Um, I'll, I'll generally say, listen, I'm here if you need me later, right? We can talk about maybe it's a, a renegotiation. You don't need X quantity of hours per month. You really need you know, X divided by two or whatever it is. And we can back off a little bit and sneak back up if we need to um, in case something happens, right? Uh, because I'm generally a fan of the idea that any revenue at all beats the pants off of, you know, low revenue beats the pants off of no revenue uh, at all. So, um, but but again, it's that it's that light touch. like hey I, I understand where you're coming from. Here's what I think the risk is. And in in the most broad terms, as practitioners, if we lay out the risk and the client, you know doesn't want to go with whatever it is we're suggesting, either we didn't explain it well enough or we did and they made the, the decision anyway. That's okay. Mm-hmm. As long as I explained it right, I did my part. I'm still gonna sleep fine tonight, right? So,
2: so So follow up on that though. And because you've run you've run services practices, we've so you've, you've had people working for you doing this, mm-hmm. whether you're the actual person on a sales team or you're the solutions architect or whatever, or you're the practice leader. And this is for the folks yeah. listening. This is definitely inside baseball. How do you then explain that logic to your C-suite or to your VP who's like, hey, why didn't you close on the renewal?
0: Yeah, that is a super good question. The best <laughs> I can offer and it has not always been successful, but the best I can offer is when you sell a virtual CISO service. Most folks don't think they're buying a service. They think they're buying a person. It's like a, it's tantamount mm-hmm. to a, you know, like a, a retainer for an attorney, right? I know that I can trust this person. They know the the stuff. They will give me good advice. They will give me good recommendations and so on and so forth. And so I always treat those. I always try to treat those. I don't want to renew today. It's not a goodbye. It's I'll see you later. Meaning the vast majority of them will come back eventually. And it's always sort of sneaky, right? I'll get an email three months after they didn't, you know, renew to say, "Hey, so just a question, just a question. I Just <laughs> want to know, have you heard about this story in the news?" That's the opening. Like, "Hey, yeah, I'm like, more than happy to to have a, a conversation about it." And what else has been going on? What have I missed out on? And that usually will lead to let's have a larger conversation about bringing you back into the to the portfolio.
2: Thank you. It's one of the other side of that coin. On to you, George.
1: Yeah. So I want to close out here with you have occupied this unique role on both sides. So we've talked a lot about service delivery. Talked about marketing services. You know how not to do that. Um, brass tacks, what limiting criteria or rubric would you give clients who might be listening to kind of hold up and evaluate their, their services? Like what is the, what's the litmus test for like, oh, I am being sold snake oil or I have a trusted partner.
0: The being sold snake oil often looks like the same sort of stuff that we would expect to see on that used car lot, you know, um, the, the, the breathless, you know, what is it going to take to get you to sign this contract today, right? <laughs> um, maybe I can give you virtual CISO with the VIN etching, um, you know, that sort of thing. Like people have a gut feeling when they're being sold sold a bill of goods, right? So I think that part's easy, but I would also evaluate, I would start asking pointed questions, and, you know, of the service provider, what is your security policy looks like? When was the last time you had an incident and what mm. happened? And big red flag. If, if you get a nuanced answer, if you get a diplomatic answer, like I'm not at liberty to give any details, but we've had incidents in the past and we have a really robust incident response apparatus, right? Okay, good answer. Didn't give me anything that could get you in trouble down the road. But if your service provider says, "Knockwood, we've never had an incident, run. Don't walk away from that service <laughs> provider, run away from that service.
2: I love provider. it. Yeah. I My PC that. is your yeah. PC. <laughs>
1: That's right. Yeah. That's right. All right. Well, Mike, we have come to the end of uh, our time, but I really want to thank you for taking time at the end of your day uh, to sit with us. This is a it really interesting conversation. We haven't had this like really nuts and bolts uh, discussion from the MSSP side, so I really appreciate you lending your time and expertise.
2: Of course, yeah, Mike, you're uh, a you're pleasure. super cool, dude, man. I um I really enjoyed talking to you, and honestly, man, I hope to run into you in real life at some kind of conference, some event, dude, man. I'd uh, love to sit down and have a drink with you. You're pretty awesome. Yeah, same. Thank you. Looking forward to it.
1: That wraps up this episode of Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks. If you liked this conversation with Mike. Check out our interview with Danny Wolf, CEO of Audience First, where we get into similar topics around listening to customer and client feedback. Consider leaving us a rating or a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the show. New episodes drop every Monday. Listen and subscribe. We'll catch you next week. Until then, stay real.